Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Tahira Amatul Wadud, Democratic candidate for Congress in Massachusetts first. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Jordan. We're really glad to have you. Yeah. Your race is really interesting because your district is actually already solidly blue and represented by a Democrat in the House of Representatives. What motivated you to challenge your incumbent? There were a couple of things that were happening here in Western Massachusetts in the first congressional district. And it's a large district. It's 3,000 square miles. It's in the western part of the state. What started happening is that many members of our community felt that they were not having their voices heard and their needs met by our current representative. In addition to the fact that the landscape of our country and political climate is changing so rapidly, people want to feel that they are having a say in how policies are being shaped for our future. And without having a congressional representative who's responsive to those needs, um, it it makes for poor morale in the community and a sense of disenfranchisement. Some of my work, particularly leading up to my decision to launch the Tahira for Congress campaign, is as a lawyer serving families here in Western Massachusetts and involving not only the family courts, but also uh, some civil rights work. And I'm also a commissioner on the Massachusetts Commission on the Status of Women. And so in those roles and the various uh, endeavors that I engage in from a from a volunteer and work perspective, I've gotten a chance to hear the needs of the families and I've seen that they're not being met. And that's what has informed and inspired this race. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about your district in your state. Massachusetts, like the rest of the Northeast, is considered very progressive, very democratic. But currently your governor is a Republican. And despite that, he's one of the most popular in the country. He, he is the most popular governor in the country, expected to win re-election in a landslide. Why do you think this is the case? And what exactly are the detailed political leanings of your state and your district? We, Massachusetts has always historically been considered a democratic state. When we look at our, our governor and the fact that he's Republican, it's a little bit of an anomaly. My observation is that He does adopt policy that resonates with people. And in my work as a commissioner, we've had, I've had the opportunity to um, sort of advocate for policy and, and legislation and that he's been quite amenable to. That doesn't stand as an endorsement necessarily because there are other ways that he, uh, that he and the Republican agenda just doesn't serve the the, the nation and, and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. In terms of where we see our country going, or more specifically, where we see the Commonwealth going, one of the most important steps that we have to take as a citizenry and as candidates for elected office is to make sure that voters are engaged and actively aware and participating in the democratic process, meaning in the process of democracy. Otherwise, people become complacent and apathetic and content to be told that someone is popular and therefore they should or will win, or that someone's been sitting for 29 years and therefore they should or will win. 
when the citizenry is engaged and they are given uh, vibrant, viable options for who they can elect as their representatives, then I think we are in a position where where we can have more competitive races. So something really significant about your candidacy is that you are a Black Muslim woman. To my knowledge, we do not have any Black Muslim women in Congress. Is that correct? That is correct. (laughs) Yes. So that would be monumental. It would have such a huge impact on so many young people who could see you and recognize that they can have a place in electoral politics despite all the hatred by so many politicians and in the media. Could you tell us about what it's been like running and what your candidacy means to you? I think about being a little girl and watching the Olympics and the absence of young black gymnasts. I am 44 years old. So just to to sort of give you a frame of reference for what Olympics and what years I was watching, Seeing the absence of athletes that look like me on the ice, and as I got older, to see one or two come into my view of, of, of consciousness and how excited that made me feel. Because when you watch the Olympics as an American, it's supposed to engender a sense of pride and, and, and excitement. But if you can't look at these athletes and identify with them, then there's a, a little bit of emotion lacking. So representation matters. So when my kids can turn on the Olympics and see athletes that look like them and little girls with ponytails that look like theirs, it makes them feel like they're a part of this victory. And when I think about the Tahira for Congress campaign and what it's like for me to be a black woman, for me to be a Muslim, For me to be a visible Muslim wearing hijab and that kids all across the district can open up their newspapers and see me on the front page or see me on the second page and they can identify with any aspect of me. And that's not just kids who look like me from a physical perspective, but for whom my message or something else about what we're doing resonates. It brings such morale and inclusivity again, into this process of running for office, representation matters. And it is a wonderful gift that I'm able to give to the boys and girls and the men and women of our district. And it's happening already in the the process of this campaign. We don't have to win in order to have representation matters. We are winning already. Hey, everybody. This is Nathan from Millennial Politics. We're going to take a quick break because we want to tell you about our new sponsor. A new company called C-Note is an award-winning social enterprise that has created a new way to save where you can earn up to 35 times more on your savings, all while increasing economic opportunity in local communities across America. The average C-Note customer earned an extra $400 last year compared to traditional savings products. So not only do you earn more with C-Note, but every dollar that you invest drives positive social impact. So instead of funding big bank bonuses, your money is going to help female and minority entrepreneurs start small businesses, build affordable housing, and support other community development projects. With C-Note, you earn up to 2.5% while building a more inclusive economy, one community investment at a time. Sign up today at mycnote.com slash politics. Again, that's my, the letter C, note, N-O-T-E dot com slash politics. And know that C-Note does not charge any fees. There are no minimums and sign up take less than five minutes. 
Check them out. So I'm sure you've had a, an experience in politics that's similar in some ways to mine. You know, most of the time at political events, you're in a room surrounded by probably older white people. What has that felt like? What is it like occupying space in areas that don't necessarily welcome you on their own? Well, I, I have attended college and law school. And have worked in corporations where very frequently I am the only one like me. It's funny because I've grown accustomed to it and I am able to navigate those spaces quite well. And I've been intentional about that. The course of this race has allowed me to realize that I can use my ability, my talent, and the universality of my message to open doors for others. And so when I go into a room, it's mostly one race, if it's mostly white people, it's mostly older people, I'm able to convey to them a message of what it's like to be me, of what it's like for other people who may identify with some of the factors and demographic factors that I have. The other thing that I'm quite committed to doing, and if you ever followed me for 12 to 18 hours on the campaign trail, you will see that this is a, an authentic aspect of me and of this campaign of ours, is that I always bring people with me who are representative of the district. And that means that I have interns, young people, volunteers who are diverse across demographic factors, race, economic, social economic, sexual orientation, and gender, because that's how we do. And that is part of how we are already winning. So while Congress will hopefully become more diverse with the likely blue wave this November, it is still filled with people who are very bigoted and full of hate. Something that I think pushes a lot of people of color away from politics is that there are people in Congress who literally see people of color who see Muslims as subhuman. What would that experience, what do you imagine that being like? Being in the same room as someone like Steve King, he is an actual Nazi congressman from Iowa. How do you imagine reckoning with that? I think that I am uniquely qualified to respond to and to champion for all people whose values align with those that I have and who want me to be their representative and who need me to be their representative. So in the first instance, I will always put my community first in terms of the people of the first district. And that means that I will do so in the face of any evil, of any enemy. I'm also a litigator, so I'm in court three days a week, every week, and have been for the last almost 12 years, which means that I'm often advocating, fighting, litigating on behalf of clients, some of them having been marginalized, some of them being the underdog in whatever litigation that we're in. And that's basically in the context of, of interfamily disputes before, before a judge. So I'm 12 years, nearly 12 years experienced in doing it, no matter who the opposition is, no matter what that looks like, no matter what they bring, whether it's bigotry, whether it's hatred, whether it's breaking the rules, not playing by the rules, whether it's a power imbalance, I am not afraid. I am not going to back down and I don't. And that's 
that's been my history and that is where I see my future as a congresswoman. So with that, do you ever experience emotional exhaustion? Do you ever get tired and feel like you don't quite know how to move forward? That's a great question. I, I have seven children. The oldest is 24. I had him when I was 19. The youngest is four years old. I had her when I was 40. I look at the state of affairs for our community, for our country, for our commonwealth here in Massachusetts, and I realize I cannot afford to get tired, but I cannot afford not to do my best to change the course of their future, which I see looks pretty dismal from right now where we sit. And so while I know it's a great, great undertaking to run for office against an incumbent who has lots and lots of money, where I'm a small business owner with children and family and, and, and friends whose support is really what's powering this movement, I don't have time to feel exhausted. But also my support system won't let me be exhausted. They are the most wonderful team, the most wonderful family of community members anywhere in the nation. I challenge anyone to prove me wrong. So what advice would you give to young people of color interested in getting involved in politics? I would say to anyone who's interested in getting involved in politics, to find a campaign or a person or a message that speaks to them, that speaks to their heart, that speaks to their values and their interests and offers support to donate a little money, even if it's $5, to donate time, even if it's only an hour, to amplify it. My first experience in taking some of the the lead in my own agency as an advocate occurred when I was 17 years old. I was, uh, we lived in an inner city area of Springfield, Massachusetts. There were two little boys who lived right next door to us. They were four and six years old. They used to play with my little sisters. The two little boys were snatched off the street in the fall of 1991, and they were brought into an abandoned building and savagely beaten and left for dead. And when we found out, of course, it sent shockwaves through our neighborhood. And it personally impacted us because these were little kids that used to play with my brothers and sisters in the backyard. I remember instantly mobilizing to have a protest. And I didn't know what to do or what the policy asks were, but I felt like we needed to do something. And with my parents, went to the Neighborhood Association, Maple High Six Corners Neighborhood Council, and sat in these meetings to figure out what the city could do. And there I learned that not only should the city have worked to demolish this abandoned building, but at a minimum should have had it boarded up. That it was not okay for black and brown people to be living in a situation where there was blight and a death trap. And I used whatever little bit of of agency that I had as a 17 year old to make flyers, to call the media, and to stand in front of that building and to call out the city government until it was demolished, and it was. That wasn't because this was something I just happened upon or my friends told me to do it. It was because I saw at 17 years old that this was a fight for our lives. And so when people question whether or not young people can affect change, 
I call on that example in my own personal life and what's happening now with our young people who are pushing for change and civic engagement and involvement and accountability of their elected officials across the country responding, of course, to the wave of gun violence happening. So I think that's a really inspiring story and it means a lot to a lot of people to have activists running for Congress. But I think additionally, a major concern with a lot of progressives is that the activism will disappear in Congress. What do you think makes you uniquely trustworthy? And why do you think activists should put their faith in you? It's funny because I attended a conference once and it was a conference to help attorneys learn how to advocate for activists in the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of the panelists said, attorneys can't be activists. They just made this blanket statement that attorneys can't be activists. And I really hurt my feelings. And I listened to the argument, both pro and con, and I read some books on activism and community organizing to try to understand why people would feel that attorneys can't be activists. And what I basically walked away with is that Attorneys, and I am an attorney, to my core and my longest uh, stint professionally has been in this this role that I I cherish as an attorney. Basically, what I understand, and now I, I, I truly do understand it, is that as a lawyer or as an advocate, you can do one of two things. You can disrupt the system or you can figure out how to make the system work for your cause. I reject the notion that attorneys can't be advocates uh, or be activists. I reject the notion that attorneys can't be activists. I reject the notion that elected officials can't be activists. What I know that I can do and what I have experience doing is figuring out what course best serves the cause that I am trying to meet. If it means using the system to impact the change that serves the people that have hired me, I will do that. And when it's necessary to disrupt the system and to change the system, we'll use those skills, that experience and the capital to do that. I can't speak for other people. So we would use the capital and the agency and the experience to change and disrupt the system to fit whatever cause we have. Now, I can't speak for how other elected officials will do it, but I can tell you that I have nearly 12 years as an attorney and that I have um, a a quite unique and uh, effective approach to advocating for my clients. And I think there's a lot of parallelism between that and being an elected official in Congress. I really appreciate your point about disrupting the system, but On the other hand, I think a lot of activists feel like engaging in electoral politics is inherently validating a system, validating a system that was meant to oppress. How do you respond to them? Yeah, I understand exactly what the question is and what the concern is. And people say that again about the legal system. They say that about the criminal justice system, the family law system, every system that manages our lives and let us not be naive these systems manage and influence our lives. I choose to take the course that having a seat at the table in these systems that manage our lives 
is the most effective way I can affect change. If there are other schools of thought about how to affect change from taking an approach of attacking the system from the outside in, creating their own, then there's room at the table in this world of ours for all of it. I strongly believe that being able to influence and manage electoral politics is the best way that I can serve our community and our country. It is where I'm uniquely qualified to do so. And I would never exclude other people from bringing whatever skills, talent, and experience they have to make the change that they want for this country as well. And I also believe in collaboration and conciliation. So in my vision, again, I have I have seven kids. I think we can all sit down and work out something that fits for all of us. Lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online? The Tahira Congress campaign is uh, followed by the hashtag Tahira for Congress. And my name is spelled T-A-H-I-R-A-H-F-O-R-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S. It's also TahiraforCongress.com. We're also across all social media platforms. We're also, if you go on the website, accessible via telephone, email, and what have you. We're doing a lot to bring people in, again, because representation matters, um, inclusivity matters, and changing the course of our future is what we're here to do, and that matters. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Jordan, again for having me. Thank you for your wonderful work uh, educating your listeners about their choices and contemporary issues around politics and current events. You're doing significant work, and that is a great contribution to our our country at this time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Now, to our listeners, if you want to hear more conversations with candidates for Congress, governor, and other statewide offices, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and support us at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.